We're back. You're listening to the new season of Dermatologically Tested, the podcast of the British Association of Dermatologists, aka the BAD. I'm Matt Gass, and you'll notice today that I have a new co-host, Harriet Dowood. I'd just like to thank Nina uh, and wish her good luck in her new role as Deputy CEO of the BAD. And welcome, Harriet, to the team. I'm very excited to be here. I'm really excited for season two of the podcast. As you guys might be aware, it's Sun Awareness Week. So as you'd expect, we are talking all about skin cancer and sun protection. Our guests today are Dr. Bav Shergill, Chair of the Skin Cancer Prevention Committee at the BAD, and Victoria Wooden, better known as Vicky, who was diagnosed with skin cancer in 2017 and is here to talk all about her experiences. Welcome both. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So um, it's obviously Sun Awareness Week and we're talking about all things skin cancer, uh, particularly, I think, the, the, the big thing that we'll be getting to is the impact that the pandemic has had on skin cancer diagnoses and uh, melanoma in particular. But Bav, as our expert on, on skin cancer, perhaps you could just sort of set the scene for us and describe the, the state of the UK pre-pandemic when it comes to skin cancer. Sure. I mean, things weren't, things weren't looking that great prior to the pandemic and lockdown. There's an increase year on year with skin cancer, increase in melanomas. We were seeing about 15,000 plus a year. There are over 200,000 cases of non-melanoma skin cancers, things like basal cell carcinoma or squamous cell carcinoma. I think the public is aware of sun exposure and the link with skin cancer, but it didn't necessarily translate into altered behaviours. Nobody thinks they sunbathe, but they may have gone out for a bike ride for three hours in the sunshine or gone surfing or walked their dog, but didn't have a hat, didn't have sun cream on and got burnt. So before the lockdown we were actually struggling to cope with the amount of skin cancer coming through our dermatology departments. We were managing and we were increasing resources. So that's where we were just before, which makes all the information that we found after the first lockdown really interesting. As we all know, there are people do understand the dangers of the sun, but you're right, it's, this, it's the change in behaviours and the, the, the planning and, you know, I think we've all been caught out on days where you, you don't necessarily give a lot of thought to it. And, it, and it's mm. all about routines and things like that. It's really challenging. But I think the pandemic as well, it did it threw a lot of that routine out of sync as well, which doesn't help. So, I mean, one of the headline statistics that, that of our Sun Awareness Week this, this year is this idea that there's thousands of, of melanomas in particular, which have gone missing essentially. And, you know, in terms of, if you look at the statistics, it looks like there's been this huge reduction in skin cancer over the last year, but presumably that's painting a bit of a false picture. Um, totally, Matt. So what we're seeing is a massive reduction in the amount of skin cancer cases that we were expecting. This doesn't mean that because we're all in lockdown and outside of the sun for a few months that suddenly the cancers went away. What it means is those cancers aren't being seen by professionals. Actually, if you think about it, one of the commonest reasons that people come and see us is some one of their friends has noticed something on their back or a partner or they've been outdoors doing a sport and it's just been commented on. So those incidental pickups or even the act of going to your GP to have a, a chest infection looked at and they suddenly notice something on those on the back, those incidental pickups haven't happened. Also, there's been a general fear about going outside the house uh, because of the pandemic and that's stopped people from accessing care I mean, you know, the English way, the British way, very much so, is to not make a fuss. So we didn't want to make a fuss and overburden the NHS 
with our concerns about our skin. So there's lots of small things that have all added up to a big drop in numbers. This worries me intensely because the quicker you pick up a melanoma, the better your survival, the, the less need there is for chemotherapy, other surgical interventions and so on, and the less of an impact that disease has on not just you, but also all the people around you. So in that case, this drop in numbers is very concerning and we would certainly encourage people to check their skin and to seek help. I think that's really important what you say there, Bav, about people being reluctant to go to the doctors. I know one of my friends had a mole that she was a little bit concerned about and she was like, oh, well, I'll leave it. I, I don't want to bother them right now. I'm sure it's fine. And, you know, it was fine, but she did phone the GP and I'm really glad she did go and get it checked out. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, mean, it's sure. so important. So, Vicky, um, sort of, I mean, you've obviously been through um, this. It'd be great if you could tell us a little bit about your personal experience going with the GP and, and what you sort of noticed. So, I, I mean, the GP was amazing, um, just off the bat. You know, I was, I got out of the shower and I noticed that I, I, I as I scratched my back with the towel, it felt uncomfortable and um, I had a mole there. I hadn't really noticed it beforehand. I don't know if it was completely new or just changed that drastically. I was really unsure about it, whether I'd perhaps just caught it or it, it was right in my bra line. So I wondered whether maybe I, you know, it had rubbed and it was just a bit uncomfortable. So there were lots of reasons why I kind of put off that this was nothing and, you know, didn't need to worry about it. But when I actually looked at it and um, kind of thought, well, hang on, it, it's a bit dark, it's a bit miscoloured, it's a bit misshapen, you know, all the, the indicators that I'm sure we'll get to at some point um, for, for what is potentially a skin cancer. And so I just thought, do you know what, I'm, I'm just going to go get it looked at. Um, phone the GP and it was it was a junior physician she was um she was very new to the practice and she was just lovely no problem had a look got someone in for a second opinion looked at it with the dermatoscope and and yes they thought "Mm, looks a bit iffy we're going to refer you on for a proper check Um, and then I just got into you know what is the cancer pathway um, which has very speedy referrals, and I, I was seen by a dermatologist who removed it um, under a local anaesthetic, um, then sent it off for testing. Unfortunately, hadn't got a wide enough area of skin around it just to make sure that the, um, that, you know, that, that there was absolutely no way it was going to come back. So I did have to then have a second operation, which was this time under a general anaesthetic, just to take out, you know, that extra tissue, make sure it's absolutely safe. And they also checked a couple of lymph nodes at the same time. I've got a scar, but do you know what? It's all healed really well. And I, you know, I don't have cancer. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, it was... You know, I worry about it still sometimes because you never know for sure whether those pesky cells got into the the rest of your body. But so far, so good. And hopefully, you know, hopefully I'm lucky enough that I caught it early, did something about it. And that should be the end of it. 
I mean, yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing sharing that. And yeah, it's, it is so important, obviously, if you do notice something that's not quite right. Yeah, I guess our message is definitely do go and get it checked out. And would you mind like sort of talking about uh, sort of your son habits before? Um, did you like, I mean, I feel like everyone's sort of a little bit guilty of like me. Well, I mean, I know that I've like Bav, Bav said, gone out for a walk and you don't really think anything of it but obviously that's so I mean damage does build on your skin it's irreversible so so um I'm I'm quite fair skinned um so when I was little (laughs) uh, when I was little my parents were you know really strict with their slap it on and what have you um and they were they really were really careful but you know, you get to be in a teenager and a little bit rebellious and your friends have got great tans and you want a great tan and it was mm. never going to happen. But, you know, <laughs> I did try. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and it, it did result in some beer on some occasions and a lot of the time as well, just you just don't notice it. I remember one day I was revising from a maths GCSE and it was pretty overcast and not a very warm day um and I thought oh, yeah I'll revise outside and mum said you better put some sun cream on you know make sure and I was like yeah 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 sure yeah I'm just doing this and never did sat outside most of the day cloud cover pretty gray but you know fairly nice and fresh air and and the next morning I woke up with the most incredible blisters and I have never been in so much pain in my maths exam <laughs> ever. <laughs> Obviously, I left the revising to last minute. Uh, <laughs> and it, it is, it's just things like that. You just don't think, oh, no, you know, the sun's not that strong. It's not going to happen to me. It's not, you know, and it does, you know, there's... it. Just a little bit of organisation. There's no cost in taking five minutes extra to just whack a bit of cream on. And um, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't get on a motorbike without a helmet. So why go wandering around outside and not putting sun cream on? It's just, it's just daft. (laughs) And it causes cancer. (laughs) You you raised some really good points, though. I mean, it's so, it's so challenging. You know, there's particularly in those teenage years and your early 20s, because it's very hard to persuade young people that, you know, well, anyone really, nobody thinks they're going to they're gonna be the unlucky person that, you know, gets a skin cancer or, as as we t- touched on earlier, thousands of people every year get diagnosed. Um, but it's really important to try and get that, that message across. And I think something that Bab and I have talked about in the past quite a lot is that how important the fashion for tans is in terms of, you know, the, the risk factor it is. Um, and it's been one of those fashions that has really stood the test of time. You know, you, you go back to Coco Chanel and, yeah. and uh, you know, those days when, when prior to that, tans weren't as fashionable. And it's really been something that we've, we've struggled as a society, you know, particularly in the UK, but, you know, in, in, other, in other countries as well, to, to shake off that idea that a tan is a sign of, of healthiness and a sign of um, you know maybe good looks or whatever it may be. So yeah, it's, I mean it's really challenging. 
We are fortunate that these days there are some really good fake tans around and it's, you know, they don't smell as bad. They're not as expensive. They're so easy to put on. You know, it's just you don't even need to go to the beautician and get a spray now to have it even. You can do it in your bathroom. So I think that really is a big help. And the fact that sun creams as well, you know, I remember putting sun cream on when I was a kid and it was white paste. They are so much better these days and that, that's got to make a difference. <laughs> the, um, one of the reasons why tans make you look healthy is they give you more of an even skin tone. And it's quite interesting. So they cover up a lot of blemishes. Say you've got a little bit of mild rosacea or something like that. With a bit of a tan, it masks it quite effectively. And a few other blemishes, freckles and whatnot that you've got. So that's the kind of, you know, what the human eye sees when it looks at a person with a tan and, and decides what's healthy because the skin tone is even, which even skin tone makes you look younger, basically. So it's, it's quite interesting why we do the way, the way we do things. But um, for sure, I think what you said, Vicky, about getting your safest tan out of a bottle is definitely the way forward. Absolutely. And, you know, it's ironic you talk about how it sort of makes you look younger because of the even skin tone, because as we know, you know, the sun exposure is, is one of the major environmental factors for, for skin aging. So you want to look young, get out of the bottle. So, Bav, um, I suppose the really important thing that we haven't touched on yet is what should people be doing? What's the sort of ideal approach to it? Because I, I know a lot of people, the first thing they think about when they think about sun protection is sunscreen and obviously it has a role to play but it's not the only thing and and i think i'd be right in saying that perhaps it shouldn't be the first thing we reach for either yeah i think it's behavior is the first thing really is you won't get sunburned if you're sort of very careful about avoiding direct sunlight on your skin on sunny days between 11 and 3. it's a very easy message um you don't have to put sun cream on or worry about apparel if you're just not there if you plan your day accordingly and make sure that you're indoors at that time having lunch, then go out and having a fantastic morning or a great afternoon during the summer, you're not going to get sunburned uh, or you'll reduce your risk considerably. That's the first kind of plank of it is, you know, knowing when the sun's at its strongest and trying to not be in direct sunlight if you can. If you, you know, if people do need to go out and they do need to have sun exposure, you do need to get a certain amount every day, um, then that's where, you know, wearing a good quality clothing the highest factor things you'll have on your skin is actually the clothing. If you choose the right type of clothing, there's lots of UV-approved equipment out there that looks good. Uh, I live on the south coast, so all the kids um, and the parents now as well have really cool rash vests on with UV protection when they're out on their paddle boards or going out by the beach. So they have a really nice day in the sun uh, with their hats on and sitting under a parasol. Uh, when they're having their lunch and stuff like that by the beach, if the seagulls don't get the sandwiches first, obviously. So yeah, there are good behaviours that you can undertake to actually uh, make sure that you don't have sunburn. Sun cream is your last defence, really. All it does is just delay the inevitable. It delays sun damage on your skin. It doesn't actually form a barrier in the way that you think it does. It just reduces the impact of the sun over a given time. So for example, if you burn in a minute, SPF 50 means you'll burn in 50 minutes, but you will burn. And you know, so mm. it just gives you an idea of how much longer you can stay out. That's what it does. I think that's really useful to, to like, have people think about that a little bit more because so much of the conversation around sun protection 
is centered around sunscreen. And in fact, almost almost all of it um, is around sunscreen. And, you know, it's not to say you can't enjoy the sun. I mean, I don't think we want to say that, but I think, you know, just a bit of conscious thought about how you're going to do that. So, you know, making use of set shade, not sort of sitting out for hours on end. You know, maybe you sat down at a bench, which was really comfortable when you sat down at sort of 11 o'clock to chat with your mates. And now it's, you know, getting on to 12.30, you know, have you thought, okay, maybe we need to move somewhere else. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's it's just going about these things in a sensible way and, and having some putting some conscious thought into it. Yeah, for yeah, sure. it's really important. I, th- I think um, Vicky's um, story about, you know, hazy sunshine, you know, you know, in Britain, you've got, you know, you can have all kinds of weather just in within an hour, almost. And just, you know, the sun will break through with some cloud cover, it burns things up. And suddenly, you know, you're you're getting sunburn on your legs when you didn't expect to, because it was murky when you left the day for the beach. So yeah, you have to be yeah, a bit of forethought, yeah, a bit of planning, just make sure you've got the right kit with you when you go out. It's um, just in the same way that you'd have everything else, you know, when go out it just becomes one more thing to do but not it's not a big deal if, if it's part of your habits absolutely and um, would practicing sun safety in the uk is a sort of the advice that you would give universal for all skin tones or does it differ i think it's learning to understand your skin and how it behaves in the sun determines just what kind of steps you need to take to make sure you don't burn yes if you have um richly pigmented skin, a uh, heritage from, say, Africa or from India, South or Southeast Asia, you know, other parts of the world, you can still burn in the sun and you can still get skin cancer. Not to the same extent in terms of absolute numbers, but it's putting yourself at risk. And as, again, as Matt said earlier on, uh, you're actually aging your skin as well. And that's quite a nice health message to give out. Um, so just to be mindful about it, you do need to use some form of sun protection factor but you have to understand just how long it takes for your skin to burn. What is interesting um, is if you've got dual heritage, say Northern European and say, I don't know, in my case, say Indian uh, background, is that your your offspring may look quite tanned, but their skin doesn't behave in the same way. They can get red very easily and they can burn. So you have to protect them and put them in suits and hats. So, yeah, you have to have a, a fair idea. And when in doubt, if you're slightly over, it's better than being slightly underprepared. Bav, we, we've talked about sort of how to pra- practice sun safety, but what about the signs of skin cancer? You know, I, I know a lot of people don't check their skin regularly. So perhaps you can sort of explain, you know, how often you should be checking your skin, any tips that you have and, and what you should be looking for. So the first things first, if, how often should you check your skin? No more often than once a month, tops. Any more than that, and you won't actually see much of a difference if you're looking every day. So once a month, you know, I often advise men, you know, check themselves for testicular lumps, check their skin. It's five minutes to do both easily and ask themselves the question, you know, about bleeding and so on and, and, and you know, peeing and things like that. Very easy checkup for women. Check your breasts at least once a month uh, and then check around your body at the same time. It is really difficult if you haven't got someone at home with you to help you check. But even saying that, it's a lot of pressure to put on someone else to make a comment of whether your moles are different or not. So often we ask that, you know, if you can get a mirror set up to have a look at your back, that's great. Um, if you had to take a photograph on your phone and then analyse it and look at it, that's fine too. You can take photographs and store them. The cameras are fantastic on phones these days. So once a month is how often you should check your skin. In terms of what you should look out for, so it's all about changing 
changing things on your skin. And so you need to learn to understand and have a good idea of what your skin's normally like. So say, for example, you've got a spot that doesn't seem to heal for two or three weeks after it's come up. That's a little bit unusual. If that doesn't normally happen, if it's on a sun-exposed site, head and neck or torso or forearms, that could easily be one of these non-melanoma skin cancers, such as basal cell carcinoma. If you have a lump that suddenly comes up and it's tender and painful and not producing pus, uh, we often see that in slightly older patients, maybe 40s plus, uh, that could be something called a squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, and they're very easily dealt with. Again, as Vicky was saying about um, pathways of care, you see a GP, you're in a hospital within two weeks to see a dermatologist, and then surgery within four weeks after that. But then obviously the thing that everybody worries about the most is melanoma. So you get to know your moles and embrace them and love them for what they are. But if there's change in any of them, or if you've got a new one that wasn't there before and you're not sure, and it's got a few odd features, which I'm going to go through, then you should definitely seek help and advice. So the things to look out for for change, either in a pre-existing mole or a new thing that comes up, is the ABCDE rule. So asymmetry, okay, so they're a bit asymmetric, which means that they're not perfectly round in shape. Uh, one side's a bit different to the other. B is border. The borders are a bit blurry, a bit fuzzy, or slightly scalloped, a bit sort of, you know, a bit sort of bitten into. Uh, C is for colour. Is the colours changing, either getting darker or lighter? Uh, and D, diameter, I mean, we're kind of changing that a little bit now, but generally if it's getting bigger and bigger than the end of a pencil, uh, that's definitely a time to get things checked out. And E is, is, is probably for really for seeing an expert if you're worried about anything at all. Do you think you could just talk a little bit about skin cancer in uh, people of colour? Um, so, you know, what to look for? When you talk about skin cancer, for example, one of the very common skin cancers, it's not that common, but you see it more in, in, in groups, in, you know, with richly pigmented skins. Uh, Subungual melanomas, those are melanomas underneath the nail or on the palms and soles of your feet. Obviously, you know, Bob Marley died of a subungual melanoma. It's something that we do see in that particular group. Uh, these are sort of dark marks underneath the nails that are irregular in shape or growing. Uh, it's worth getting checked out. The thing is, though, and I've got one of them as well, which is a sort of a, a normal kind of pigmented line underneath my nail, but it hasn't changed. So I keep an eye on it every now and then in clinic and just make sure. And I've got a photograph on my phone to check it against as well, just to make sure every now and then to stop that three o'clock in the morning worry. I, I've seen basal cell carcinomas in patients from India and Pakistan. These are often a bit darker. Normal basal cell carcinomas in European skin types are pink uh, and they bleed easily. These were slightly darker, but they bled. So a lesion that's, that's bleeding, that's not healing up. Uh, often patients say, all patients say, you know, I've got a spot that's how I think, or thought it was just a spot. You've got something like that that hasn't sorted itself out after two or three weeks, you do need to go and get it checked out regardless. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that we can we can mention, actually, is you're sort of looking for a often an ugly duckling type of mole. It's not it's not a hard and fast rule, but for most people, their moles tend to be fairly similar in sort of, you know, they follow a sort of type, don't they, on the whole? Yeah. I just realised, Matt, that nodding on a podcast doesn't actually really say <laughs> doesn't get picked up by the microphone. No, it's true. If one of those, if you've got a, a mole in the skin that's very different to all the others, then that is the one that I'm worried about. Mm -hmm. That's the one I want to hear about. That's the one I want to have a look at. But I want all your moles to put it into context. Uh, and, and that's what I do when I do a skin checkup. 
you know, rather than just honing in on that one mole that someone's come in with. There's a reason why people come and see you because they have a feeling that something isn't quite right. And so it's up to me to see it and, and address the reasons why it may not be right. This is quite a loaded question, I suppose. How do you think we can reduce the rates of skin cancer? Is it an impossible task? I mean, obviously, rates are rising. What do you guys well, both think? I mean, it's probably better for Bev, but I mean, one of the things I always think is that if the rates are rising, that means people are getting diagnosed and people are getting treated. So a lot of the awareness activities that have gone before mean that People like me know what to look out for and go and see the doctor and, you know, aren't, aren't scared to go and get it checked out. And I think although one day we want to see those numbers go down, actually, if we can get a lot of early diagnoses and treatment, that's brilliant because... I was 39 when I was diagnosed and I want to have a long, healthy life. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad I got it checked out and I'm glad I got it treated. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's that's really eloquent. Far better than I would put it, actually, to be honest. You're right, Vicky. You've got to get them picked up. And even if there's an increase in numbers, that doesn't matter. What it means is we're better at picking mm-hmm. these things up and treating them. In terms of cancer biology, that's a different ask. Now, that's all about accumulating mutations due to sun exposure over a lifetime. To steer that ship in a different direction will take, you know, a few decades if we all have good, healthy behaviours, or or the majority do now. So we won't see the benefit of these interventions, but our children will, um, I'm hoping. And um, but so the overall rate ideally will go down due to that kind of prevention. But what I want to, what we want to prevent, skin cancer prevention, prevention, as Vicky quite rightly says, it's not just about preventing the disease ever coming, but it's also preventing the negative impacts of the disease. So that's the other side of Sun Awareness Week is we want to make sure that all our, you know, community has long, happy, healthy lives doing the things that they love. And to do that, if you know, if we can just do very simple interventions at an early stage, we can achieve that goal. Yeah, I think that's really important, and I think you're right. You're absolutely right in saying that on its own, reducing the number of skin cancers in isolation isn't the most important thing because, you know, it's inevitable that skin cancer rates will go up as we have an ageing population and, you know, people have more cumulative sun exposure over the course of their lives uh, because they're living longer. So, you know, on its own, it's it's, in isolation, it's not the be all and end all. But absolutely, I think it is important in the long term that people do careful about their sun habits and we pass on good some some behavior you know habits to 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 our children and to the the future generations um so yeah i think those are all really good points but it's interesting that i mean one just one one thing i wanted to say about changing in behaviors we always think it's going to take ages and ages and ages but i didn't think i'd see the turn against smoking in Mm -hmm. my lifetime uh the turning against uh, and like drink driving for example and how socially unacceptable that is um these things have all happened, and because we all want it to happen, it's like most of the behaviours in society. If we're all unified in changing that behaviour, we'll do it. And it wouldn't hurt to, quickly. you know, look at Australia. the The culture's so different over there. My um, my brother in law lives over there, and and my niece is growing up, and she, you know, her attitude to being out in the sun is so different to my kids, and I keep trying to instill that in them. They had such bad incidents and such high incidents over there that they really got their act together and and we could learn from that example 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I would say Australia's great disadvantage when it comes to skin cancer is also their great advantage, which is mm. their climate. Um, mm. Because they've got such an extreme climate, they, uh, you know, it obviously means that they've had uh, higher rates of skin cancer for many years. But I, I do think part of the reason why they've been able to be so successful is because it's so self-evident to their population that this this climate is trying to kill you. Um, a little dramatic, perhaps, but but you know, I think I, I think it's a really important point, though, because it is it's it's a challenge for us to get that across to people in the UK, because you know, particularly if you're if you've had a completely washed out summer, and suddenly a few sunny days come along, it's it's really challenging to sort of be the voice of reason in that situation and say to people, you know, well, okay. Well, I'm a bit concerned means- about lockdown lifting or the easing of lockdown is that everyone's going to go crazy, go outdoors, and they are just going to go, yes, I'm outside, it's fantastic with my friends. All six of us have to sit outside with a slightly dodgy bag full of tinnies, and then we're going to sit outside in the sun, and then we're going to get burnt, and, you know, that's like, oh, that really wasn't the message about lockdown. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I mean, that, I feel like that's already happening, which is pretty worrying. Um, I think today's a fairly nice day and it was nicer the other day. And yeah, I was I had a quick walk in the park with sunscreen on. Uh, yeah, I noticed loads of groups just like sitting out in the sun, uh, probably been there yeah. for a few hours, I imagine. And it is a bit it is worrying. Definitely. But it's about getting across those habits, isn't it? And, you know, we uh, it's not that we want to be really judgy. And I think because, you know, public health messaging, when you're acting as, as you're coming across as just really some judgmental, nannying people, it doesn't go across well. But it's, it is just trying to instill in people those, those good behaviours so that, you know, even amongst, you know, a really sort of laddie group of lads with a bunch of tinnies in the park, it's not... Com- it's socially unacceptable to be like, okay, can we go sit under this tree now instead? And, you know, can I wear a hat instead? Maybe put some sunscreen on. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the messaging is getting out there and that's that's the importance of Sun Awareness Week. So unfortunately, I think that's all we've got time for. But Bav, Vicky, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really helpful and um, hopefully everybody's learned a lot about Sun Awareness Week and sun protection and signs of skin cancer. Thank you for having me. I hope it makes a difference. Our brilliant guests today were Dr. Bav Shergill and Vicky Woodham. We really appreciate them taking the time out of their day to talk about sun protection and sun awareness. But if you do want any further information on this topic or need any advice at all, please do visit our patient hub and that's www.skinhealthinfo.org.uk and visit the sun awareness page. To keep up to date with the podcast, you can find us at Derm Tested on Instagram and Twitter. And we'd also invite you to join in the conversation around Sun Awareness Week. All you need to do is you can find information and resources on the BAD's social media channels, or you can use the hashtag, hashtag Sun Awareness Week. Great. Well, I look forward to hopefully seeing you on social media. Uh, in the meantime, we'll be back in two weeks' time, and we will be talking all about it. Can't wait.